sit down. Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the word. Thanks, Vic, very much indeed. I realise there's one uh, more note I meant to give. Uh, next week, uh, at the uh, guest, after the guest service, there is a, a lunch. I think it says that in the news sheet. I was going to check it, but somebody ripped mine up and screwed it up. Uh, so I couldn't. But I think it says that in the news sheet. But uh, do plan to come. We'll have uh, a Domino's uh, pizza in, in the nice room out there. Uh, hopefully that might be a pull for, for some of our guests. Uh, but do plan to come for that. Uh, and we'll be asking for a, a gold coin donation. Well, as we come to this famous passage, let's uh, say a word of prayer together. Father, we pray that you would show us your character through this story. And we pray that we too would long to be like you, that we'd be people who uh, search for the lost and rejoice when lost sinners are found. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. I want you to think back to a time when you were really happy, a time when you were filled with joy. I wonder what you were doing. Maybe you went for a walk in a beautiful part of God's creation and the view just filled you with joy. Maybe you're sitting snuggled up with your family on the sofa watching a film. Perhaps it was as you belly laughed with a friend over dinner. Maybe it's running across a rugby field, full pelt. That kind of joy, that deep happiness is a wonderful experience, isn't it? But I wonder, have you ever thought... What is it that makes God rejoice? What is it that, so to speak, fills God with that same wonderful feeling? What is it that makes God want to celebrate? Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three famous stories. And the theme that runs through them all is joy and celebration. We're going to look at two of the stories this week. And then the longer one, the, the prodigal son and his older brother, next week and the week after. Now, there are three stories, but they're all part of the same piece, told to the same people with the same message about what God rejoices in. 
And we need to see that Jesus is talking to two different groups here. Just look at verse 1. You can picture the scene. Jesus is, is probably in a field or something, maybe standing on a rock, and he's talking to two different groups of people. We've got the sinners and the tax collectors, and then there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And these two groups are like chalk and cheese. They couldn't be more different. The, the religious teachers, the very good people, and the sinners and te- tax collectors, the very bad. Well, these sinners and tax collectors are the people that society says they are bad. Now, notice the word sinners is in uh, quotation marks. We, we know that we're all sinners, don't we? We've just confessed our sins, that we've done things we're ashamed of before God. But this, these sinners are particularly notorious sinners. Society would look at them and say, you're a bad person, you're a sinner. And they themselves would happily own that. I, I, well, not happily, but they would own it. I, I am a sinner. I've done much that I'm ashamed of. And the tax collectors, they're not um, your man or woman who works for the IRD. These are people who are corrupt, who routine, routinely rip others off. They're the outsiders. And there's maybe somebody here this morning who, if push came to shove, would say, actually, I'm in that group. I have done much I'm ashamed of. And maybe society around would, would look at you and, and they'd say, yes, that's obvious. Or maybe nobody knows. But you know in your heart that uh, there's much you've been ashamed of and perhaps you feel a little bit awkward being here this morning. Uh, What if people knew? Well, the wonderful message of Jesus this morning is you are really welcome. And Jesus has got a a terrific message for you this morning. But the other group is totally different, isn't it? These are the good guys. The religious teachers, the Pharisees, they are so respectable. Everybody looks up to them. If there's a moral dilemma, they're the ones people go to. They live very outwardly uh, religious lives. They've been to church all their lives. They've never strayed far from God. They give generously to the church and to charity. And they're not perfect, but they're not like the tax collectors and sinners. Now, the interesting thing is, if you were to ask those two groups, who does God rejoice over, they'd say the same thing. If you ask the Pharisee, I think they'd say, well, it's people like me, isn't it? I'm, I'm a good guy. We're good guys. And uh, God surely rejoices over us. Ask a tax collector, a sinner. And they'd say, well, isn't it those guys? Isn't it those religious teachers? It's definitely not us. I've done much that I'm ashamed of. Well, two different groups, chalk and cheese, but with two different attitudes. I wonder if you noticed that. Jesus, at this point, is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been teaching people about the kingdom of God. And the very previ- the, 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 the verse just before our passage says this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Listen to what I'm saying. And then we come to our passage and notice who's listening. You'd expect it to be the religious people, wouldn't you? But it's not. No, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, they're listening to Jesus. But what are the religious guys doing? They're muttering. They're grumbling. They're complaining. And what's their complaint? This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Do you see the underlying issue? If God rejoices in good people, well, what on earth is Jesus doing with those sinners? He should be spending time with us. Well, it's to those two very different groups that Jesus tells this one parable. To the grumbling good guys and the listening lost people, Jesus, as it were, drops a bombshell. He says this, God rejoices in these sinners, not because they're sinners, but because they're repenting, 
because they're coming back to God. That's what it means to repent, isn't it? Turn around and come back to God and they find forgiveness. And you see the message that we'll see in this, this passage to the sinner and the tax collector, to those who know that they've done wrong, Jesus says, God is the kind of God who searches for the lost and when they repent, when they come back, he rejoices. So keep listening and come back to God. And then to the religious people, he says the same thing. God is the kind of God who seeks for lost sinners and rejoices when they come back. So why are you muttering? Repent, stop grumbling, repent and come back to God. Well, some of this this morning may identify very strongly with one of those groups. I, I know I'm a sinner. Actually, I probably am a Pharisee. But I take it that most of us are not. Most of us have, have repented and we long to serve Jesus. And what I'd love us to do is, is to leave him marveling that God searched for us. God rejoiced over us when we repented. But not just to go away marveling, but to go away seeing that if this is the kind of God our God is, that we long to join his program, that we long to be committed to searching for the lost and rejoicing when sinners come back. Let's look at the stories. Have a look at verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. A hundred sheep is not very many. But as this man does his daily count, he realizes one of them's wandered away. Well, what does he do? He goes, Jesus says, and search for it. Does he not leave, verse 4, the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You can imagine him going back up the hill. And as he goes, he looks everywhere. Looks in the bushes. Is it there? Looks over the edge of the cliff. Has it fallen down? He looks in the creek. Is it down there? And as he searches and searches, eventually he finds that sheep. And then what does he do? Does he give it a whack with his crook? Stupid sheep. Look at all this trouble I've gone to. No, look what he does. Verse 5, he finds it and joyfully he puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And I think we're meant to picture him going around the village, knocking on doors, saying, come to my house, come for a party. I found my lost sheep. I'm so happy. I want you to come and rejoice with me. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm a bit of a curmudgeon, but it seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? It's only a sheep. It's a bit extreme. What's the fuss? Why is he throwing such a lavish kind of celebration? Then Jesus tells a point, doesn't he? Verse 7, I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious people, righteous people who do not need to repent. And what a profound statement that is. The two groups listening would hear it straight away. The sinners and tax collectors who know they're lost, they hear that God searches for them and rejoices when they come back. He doesn't mut- God doesn't mutter and put up barriers. No, he rejoices when they repent. And you see the shock to the religious people. There is more joy when one sinner repents than over the 99 people who are there muttering. We need to think more of what that means in a minute, but let's look at the next story and see that it has the same pattern. Something's lost, somebody searches, the thing is found and there's joy, and then we've got Jesus' comment. That is what heaven is like. Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. Look at verse 8. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 10 silver coins, 10 drachma. And each one is is worth about a day's wages. 
maybe, what, $100 or so. Now, it's a significant amount of money, but it's not a fortune. It's not her lottery winnings. But as she loses it, what does she do? Jesus says, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And having searched and found it, she says, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And you see, again, it's extravagant. It's excessive. I imagine that the kind of party she throws probably cost more than the coin was even worth. It seems strange. And yet, then we have Jesus' bombshell. Verse 11, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one, sinner's, one sinner who repents. And friends, so we see this parable tells us what God is like. That when somebody is lost, God searches for them. And when that person comes back and is found, he rejoices. Now, the sinners and tax collectors would understand this instantly, wouldn't they? They know they're lost. That's why the Pharisees are grumbling. Why is he eating with those people? But you see, God doesn't grumble. God doesn't say, you stupid sinner, you've made your bed, you lie in it. No, God launches this extravagant search and rescue mission. I wonder if you've seen the film Private Ryan. You, if you have, you'll know the story that... Uh, a family of, of four brothers are sent into the Second World War, and three of them are killed. And somebody up in HQ decides that actually it's not right that the family could lose all of their children, all of their sons. And so they decide to launch a rescue mission, don't they? That this Private Ryan might come home. And they send people off to risk their lives to pull him out of danger. And when you think about it, it's incredibly extravagant. If you're a bureaucrat trying to prosecute the war effort in, in HQ in, in Washington somewhere, you'd surely say, this is stupid. We're in the greatest war in, 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 in history. Why are we being distracted by trying to say one? He's not even important. He's a private. And yet that's what they do. And many people ri risk their lives to rescue him. And that extravagant search is a picture, I think, of what God does that he formulates a plan from before the beginning of time to rescue those who are lost. It's a plan that he executes as he sends his son into the world. And we see Jesus in Luke, don't we, eating with, with outsiders. He's loving them. He's teaching them, saying, come back to God, repent, and you will find great, great salvation and joy. And he's not just teaching, is he? He goes eventually to the cross. He lays down his life to pay the penalty for sin so that those who repent may come freely back to God. It's extravagant. And of course, Jesus dies. He welcomes sinners. Think of in Luke, the, the thief on the cross, that man who's done nothing, but says, Jesus, forgive me. And he repents and heaven rejoices. But of course, Jesus returns to heaven. And then what does he do? He sends his spirit to us so that we may carry on this great search and rescue mission. Well, this searching, this mission is what's portrayed in, in this second story, isn't it? These, both of these stories are just very broad brushstrokes. There's no kind of colorful details, except when it comes to the woman. We're told, aren't we, that she lights a lamp. She sweeps. She searches with great care. Why, why does he tell us that? Surely to make the point, it's not half-hearted. I don't know if this is a man thing. Uh, or not, or maybe it's a, just a James thing. But I am utterly hopeless at finding things. 
I um, I just almost anything, keys, bag, everything seems to get lost. All my stuff these days has got these little Bluetooth tracker things on, so that when I can't find them, I can press a button. And even then, I need somebody to help me. When I when I lose something, invariably I call Charlie and I say, Charlie, I've lost my keys again. Please, will you help me? And I probably don't say it as graciously as that. But do you see, this is not that kind of James Ballinger look. It's not a man look. What does she do? It's very thorough. She she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She finds it, and that is what God is like, carefully searching for the lost. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's not a believer, and you know you're far from God. Well, do you see what this says to you? God is searching for you. You might feel you could never find a way back to God. Well, God is searching for you. But you see, we, unlike the, the coin or the sheep that has to passively kind of wait to be found... Do you see what the sinners and tax collectors are to do? What we are all to do, we are to repent. And we see the sinners and tax collectors beginning to do that. They're listening to Jesus. They're not just hearing, but they're they're understanding and they're coming back. And Jesus commends them. Heaven rejoices when sinners repent. One of the great things I love about living in this part of town is there's hardly any traffic, is there? Uh, The other day I went to visit someone in Papua Nui. And I, I, as I kind of drove out of their drive, my, my sat-nav was still trying to work out where I, where I was. And I thought, well, home's sort of that way. So I turned right. And as soon as I turned right, two things happened. One is I ended up at the end of a huge traffic jam. And the other is my Google Maps suddenly realized where I was and said, go back the other way. Well, I should have listened to it. But I decided not to. I thought, well, eventually I'll get home. Ten minutes later, I'm still stuck in traffic. 15 minutes later, still in traffic. 20 minutes later, I'm still in this traffic jam that I've never seen the likes of in New Zealand before. I should have listened to my sat-nav. I should have realized I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn around and go the other way. That's what it is to repent, isn't it? I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn around and go the right way. But it's very hard. And do you see the point, though? God is not commending people. He's not rejoicing over people who are good. He's not rejoicing over people who are always going the right way. He's rejoicing over those who realize they've gone the wrong and they've repented and come back and found forgiveness. But to do that is sometimes very hard, isn't it? If I, in my pride, sit in my car on my own and I'm too proud to admit I've gone the wrong way and turn around, how much harder is it when we realize our lives have gone the wrong way? We need to turn around. And so we need to see God's response. What happens every time somebody repents? When sinners repent, what happens? God rejoices. That is the kind of God we have. He is a God who rejoices when sinners repent. And you see, it's an extravagant joy. It was just a sheep. It was just a coin. And yet when they were found, a great party was thrown. Frankly, we're not very important, are we? 7.7 billion of us on this earth. We live for a few decades, uh, if we're lucky, and uh, at the end of that few decades we die. Within a few years of our death, hardly anyone remembers we still live. We're not very important in the big scheme of things. And yet what happens every time one of the 7.7 billion of us on the earth turn back to God? Heaven throws a party. Heaven rejoices. God is absolutely thrilled. That joy we thought of at the beginning, that is what God feels. Well, if you've never repented, if you've never come back to God, do you see God wants to throw a party for you? 
that will mean saying that life's gone wrong, that I've not gone the right way. And that may be hard, that may be scary, but if you do, the champagne is on ice, so to speak. God is waiting to rejoice. But of course, many of us have repented. And you see what this says to us. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer this morning, you're a Christian because God searched for you. I'm a Christian because God searched for me. And friend, do you see, even if you were the only sinner in the world, the Bible says God would have launched this extravagant rescue plan for you. He would have searched for you until he found you. Isn't that a mind-boggling thought? Jesus diligently searching. Jesus giving his life for us individually. And then what happened the moment he found us? The moment we repented, he rejoiced. He was filled with joy. He threw a party. Heaven went wild, celebrating. Maybe you're a Christian this morning, and you just think, actually, this past week, I've made such a mess. I feel like a fraud. I've strayed away from God. No, he rejoices over you. He's found you, and he rejoices. He rejoices every time a sinner repents and comes back to him. But friends, you see, if this is how God has treated us, then this is how we should be. If God is a God who searches for the lost and rejoices when they come home, this is who we should be because that is who God is like. And if we've grasped this, we can never be like the Pharisee or the tax collector, uh, sorry, the Pharisee or the religious leader, can we? And you see what Jesus is saying to them in this story. God is the kind of God who searches for the lost and rejoices. So why are you grumbling? They look at Jesus eating, don't they, with the sinners and tax collectors. And rather than thinking, that's a wonderful thing, he's welcoming the lost, they use it as a slur. They think it's a scandal. Well, as Christians, if we're not careful, we can begin to become like those religious people, can't we? We can begin to look down on others. We can begin to think that we're better than others. But if we begin to do that, it's because we've forgotten that we too were lost. God doesn't rejoice over us because we're good, because we're walking the right way. He rejoices because we've come back to Jesus and found his help. And friends, if we start to think like that, it'll be a disaster, won't it? When certain people come to our church and perhaps listen to Jesus and in time repent, we'll resent it. We'll mutter. We don't want people like that in this church. And rather than welcome them, we'll keep our distance. And what a tragedy that would be. But it's not just in church, is it? The way we, we interact in the world will be wrong. When we look at the world and see what goes on when we rub shoulders with colleagues rather than seeing them as people who are lost who are far from God who God loves and is searching rather than thinking how can I bring great joy to Jesus as I help that person to come back and repent we'll be indifferent at best we'll be indifferent we, we won't be bothered at worst we'll grumble look at the world it's gone to dog gone to the dogs but you see, if we want to be a church that is full of joy, well, we need to be like God. And who is God? God is a God who searches for the lost and rejoices when sinners come back. And if we want to be a church filled with joy, we need to join in this search and rescue operation. And if we do, we will be filled with joy because God searches and finds people repent and heaven rejoices. Well, there's many ways to do this, isn't there? We're privileged to have... Charlie and I were privileged to have lunch with Katie uh, Bennett this week. And as we pray for Katie, as we give to the work of our mission partners and that kind of thing, we're joining in this great search and rescue operation, aren't we? And so we rejoice at what God is doing. 
And next week, we've got one particular way, haven't we, to join in God's rescue operation. I hope we're praying for the guest service. I hope we're thinking, who may I be able to invite? If not for this time, for another time, how can I work out how I'll be able to invite people uh, in time for Christmas? Will we plan to come early? Really striking, before almost anyone was here this morning, there were some visitors. Will we come early, not for our sake, but so we can join in the rescue operation? Will we come for the Domino's pizza? Not because we like Domino's pizza, some of us I know don't, but it's not about the pizza, it's about spending time searching for the lost, loving them, welcoming them, that they might come and repent. Well, I take it if we do this, if our heartbeat is in line with God's, there'll be times it's costly. It's really striking, isn't it, that Jesus says the man leaves the 99 in the field. It's a striking point, isn't it? So the shepherd leaves the 99. I take it there's a sense that they're in danger, that there's a cost to them. And as we do this, well, church won't necessarily be as rosy as it could be. Striking that the church is one of the few organizations that exists for the benefit of non-members, isn't it? Join a golf club, and they're not interested in non-members. The golf club's there for the benefit of members, so the golf club can be as good as it can be. But we don't exist just for us. We exist for the benefit of non-members, so that we can, so that God through us can do this search and rescue operation. There's times it will be costly. Church won't be as good as it can be because we're thinking of those outside. But that's right, because heaven rejoices more over the 99, uh, over the one who repents, than the 99 who stayed home and didn't need to repent. I want to end uh, with this story of a man and woman who got this. In the 1840s, John Getty and his wife, with their two small kids, they they left the church that uh, John Getty was pastoring in Canada and set sail for the New Hebrides. And the island uh, that they landed on was one that was filled with cannibals. A few months before uh, they arrived, the British ship had become stranded and the 20 crew members had been killed and eaten. They set out for that place because they were convinced that Jesus was searching for lost sinners there. When they arrived, they faced many, many difficulties. They had to learn a new language, a language that had never been written down before. They lived in constant threat and danger, not least of being killed and eaten themselves. But after a time, they kept persevering, and after a time, uh, God caused one person to repent. They kept going because they knew that God was searching for the lost, and then a few years later another and then another and there was much rejoicing on earth and there was much rejoicing in heaven and the Gettys labored without much help or word from home because they knew that this was what God wanted them to do and through the Gettys as God searched for lost sheep as those former cannibals repented as they did so much there was much rejoicing in heaven and on earth so much so that when the Gettys finally left the, uh, the church that they'd, uh, that they'd uh, planted there uh, put up this plaque which said when John and his wife landed in 1848 there were no Christians here but when he left in 1872 there were no heathen here all the lost sheep had been found it was very very costly for the Gettys but very very joyous because our God is a God who searches for the lost and rejoices when he finds them well friends Have we repented? Do we know that heaven has thrown a party for us? And if we do, 
are we joining in this great search and rescue operation that the party may go on as others hear and repent that we and God himself may rejoice well let's spend a moment praying together